Today we continue in our celebration of the Advent. Advent is the anticipation of great things to come. And this word really refers to the arrival of things that we greatly, greatly are excited about, anticipate. And Chris started us with the Advent of hope and us thinking through what it means to hope for what Christ is going to come. And also last week John spoke about the Advent faith. Uh, but I was holding of believing in God for things that we cannot really anticipate or fully understand. And during those 400 years, from the time of Malachi to Matthew, in those silent years, that there is a real sense of, of faith and hope, anticipating what God would do in the birth of Christ, coming as a baby, fulfilling all of this prophecy. And this week, we will continue and talk about love and what it means for this amazing love that we have from God. In reality, this is a Christmas theme. Love is so important. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So this Advent season is filled with a sense of expectation that Jesus is coming and that when God said he loved the world, here is the coming of his only son. And it's to see that Christ came and he chose to abandon uh, his status and power as God. That he was fully God, but chose to then to become human and to be born um, in all the limitations as a, as a human baby. You think about how vulnerable humans are, especially as a young baby. And yet all of God compressed into this child and that Jesus was willing to come in that way. And that he lived in obedience to his father, obedient to the point of death. And so really, think about the Advent. It is like the greatest love story ever. Amazing love story of how much God is wanting this relationship with us, with all of humanity. And for thousands of years, God has been seeking to bring humanity back. It started first in the garden, that God created this beautiful garden and that Adam and Eve could enjoy all these things. They can get all this food. They didn't have to get an app and, and have it delivered and have it sent to them. They just re simply reached out and they would pick all of the food. And it was in a huge abundance, a perfect place that they didn't have to do anything. There was no work to do. And there was no stress. And there were no enemies. They could simply just enjoy the provision and preparation that God had made. But Adam and Eve chose to then rebel against God and to do the one thing he said you cannot do is to eat from this particular tree. It seems like a simple thing. And yet they chose to rebel against God. And from that sin led to other sin. And they had to leave that garden. And eventually more sin, sin led to all of humanity sinning against God and against each other. That he had to come and destroy the whole earth and all the people and then God gave all of humanity a second chance through Noah and Noah and his family. And then as he did that, he, he gave a rainbow to reflect the promise that he would not destroy the earth again through flood and giving all of humanity a second chance. And then fast forward going to the, um, the Jewish people that as they were in Egypt, and they were in Egypt to, with, a, with a king that no longer knew who they were, that a pharaoh that did not know uh, who Joseph was and only feared this growing, powerful nation. And eventually, God then brought release and he brought plagues to Egypt. 
plagues that while protecting all of the Jewish people, he then brought these plagues to then have a lot of punishment and fear in the Egyptian people that eventually they were able to leave. And then as they went through uh, this amazing departure, this amazing escape, that God then, he opens the Red Sea so that they can walk through the Red Sea safely and then escape from this Egyptian. And to imagine all that God did to provide for the people. And then he gave them manna. Miraculously, manna, this, this, this amazing food, disappeared in the mornings and how to eat it. And then he gave them quail. I mean, this is talking about in a wilderness that God provided all these. And then they started complaining. They were bored of the manna. They wanted other things. They wanted to go back to Egypt. And then God, he provided a cloud to guide them so that this cloud by day and a fire by night, a cloud to protect them from the, the scorching sun in the wilderness and this fire at night to give them warmth because it was so cold. And then he provided for them this gave to them the promised land that he talked about, flowing with milk and honey, all these amazing things. And he protected them, provided for them, and gave them this abundant promised land. And yet, in the midst of that, they worshipped other idols and other gods. And then you think about all that happened. If you were God, what would you do? You know, maybe at the point of when they created the golden calf, maybe that was it, and you would just uh, you know, destroy if, if I was God, I probably would lose patience, and that's probably what I would do. But you know, that's actually what God wanted to do too. He wanted to destroy all these people and start over, start over and just go through Moses, and I'll build another kingdom through you. And it was Moses who pleaded, just says, God, no, no, don't do that, don't do that. And, and Moses pleading changed the mind of God to not destroy all these people. So you imagine this, like a, this back and forth. That, that God gives them another chance, gives them a second chance, and then they reject him again. Then he gives them another chance, and then they reject. It's like an ongoing pattern, and yet God is so insistent. God is persistently loving the people and wanting to draw them back to him in this relationship. And so then finally, during these 400 years from the end of Malachi, there's a 400-year period where you don't hear anything else from God. A period where there seems to be quietness, silent, and yet God is actively preparing. He's actively listening and watching. He still loves the people. He still cares for them, but he's not going to say anything. And this long period of how many generations, of 400 years, that God doesn't say anything. But in that time, he's preparing, and then as we see in the beginning of Matthew, the coming of Jesus Christ, he's prepared He's prepared all of the, these events so that at Christmas we see this coming of the Messiah. And, and, and God was orchestrating all these things. When the people thought God isn't there and they can't hear and they haven't heard from him, he actually was actively involved in preparing so that on that day when the star is there and everything is orchestrated, Jesus is then born as a baby. God sends his son he doesn't send a representative. He doesn't send an angel as he did in the past. God sends himself, his son, Jesus, to be born. And that is, that's the amazing thing. And how powerful we see that God loved us so much that he wanted to send his own son 
to be amongst us, to live and to talk with us and to be amongst us, to fully experience the limitations and the frailty of our human bodies. And even in the midst of Jesus' life, in the midst of that, they still rejected God. And that's why Christmas is just an amazing, amazing love story. It is an amazing love story of how God loved the world and that he sent his son to this world. And that's what this is, a very powerful theme of Christmas is this concept of love and how important it is. And that there's a purpose that God had in sending Jesus specifically as God himself into a human form and that he would experience all the things that we would experience and then to become the ultimate sacrifice. So love is really a core theme. This whole thing about um, how God loved us and how Jesus demonstrated love while he was here to all of us. You think about uh, love as God did it very unconditionally and God loved without any, anything with uh, a condition or a requirement of what we had to do. He just simply gave his son and then he loved. You think about this, the sense of love in the world. The world's view of love is quite different. Love in the world's eyes can be very uh, conditional. They have to have certain reasons for that person to love someone. Or there's a limit to how much love can be given. And sometimes you can love a certain, and then you just end it because you can't go any further. And sometimes love can be based on how we feel, based on emotions, and love can then change. So the world's sense of love can be very different. But in the biblical sense of love, it's very different. In the New Testament, uh, they use the Greek word agape for that word of love. And actually, the word agape in Greek was not as familiar to the New Testament church because they were, you know, as Hebrews, they had, using Aramaic, speaking a different language, but in writing, they used Greek. So this whole concept of agape was a, a term of love, and the early church began to ascribe meaning to this word agape based on how they saw Jesus live, how Jesus loved, and how he served. And how Jesus demonstrated love was then put into the meaning of agape. And so you think about the, uh, the sense of, of this love, that um, God's love to us is selfless and unconditional. It's not about what God wants, but he's simply giving freely. And it's actually counterculture that this kind of love from God is not what we would expect in human nature or in our cultural setting. And then thirdly, it's unlimited and sacrificial. So if I um, help us look at this verse, these verses in 1 Corinthians, and seeing that this love is selfless and unconditional. In 1 Corinthians 13, let me read, that love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, does not boast, it is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered and keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, trusts, hopes, and perseveres. Love never fails. Now, this is an amazing way to look at love as expressed here in 1 Corinthians. This kind of love that seems to have is, is, is very selfish and there's not condition. And here in this passage, we see what love is and what love is not. You know, there's a lot of things that there's no envy, it does not boast, it's not proud. 
But you think about what love is, you look at the positive, it says, what is love? In this passage, it's, it's patient, it's kind, it rejoices with truth, it protects, trusts, hopes, perseveres, and it's unending. Now that's kind of a, an amazing kind of love, because it's really self, and there's no, there's this unconditional love. It just kind of flows, and it continues. And this is the kind of love that actually um, really has no end in itself. And um, I think for us as a family, when I grew up, uh, I think I've shared before that my father passed away when I was three. And so our family was, our kids were, were very young. And we didn't know Christ at that time. But it was through this persistent friend of my father that kept inviting us to church. And my mother didn't believe that there was a God because she was raised uh, as an atheist environment. And so she couldn't believe there was God. But given our circumstances, she said, what do I have to lose? You know, if there's no God, at least maybe uh, this church can be something that she can learn about. So we went to church, and uh, we were amazed that the people loved us. They cared for us. They didn't even know us, but they came and took us, the three kids, took us out and really demonstrated this amazing love. And so my mother, who was like, didn't believe that there could be a God as an atheist, she says, if people can love us this way, and they don't even know us, there has to be a greater being, something that enables them to love us this way. So in that, she began to study the Bible, and that's how she came to know Christ. And all of us, one by one, we came to know Christ and began to accept this love. And it was really our family saw this unconditional love, this selfless love, and that's what brought us then to know Christ in a personal way. And sometimes um, we talk about how this love uh, is, is, is difficult. Can you say you love someone in a selfless way without any conditions, just to love them freely? I think that's hard. I, I think it's, it's hard for us to just love other people without some kind of situation or context or condition. And to love selflessly is very difficult. But I want to go one step further. In our cultural context, I believe in our Chinese-Asian cultural context, not only is it hard to then love, but I think it's hard to receive love. I think it's really hard for us to, to have someone that maybe that we're not in this kind of relationship with to love us so freely. Because, you know, what happens when you, you go over, you bring something to someone, they will give you something back. And I, I grew up with this kind of a cultural practice. You never, you know, let someone come to your house that brings something and they would uh, go away empty-handed. You need to give them something as to show appreciation. But there's always this sense of, of you receive and you need to pay back. And sometimes that makes it difficult for us to receive love from other people because we don't want to owe them anything. And have you ever experienced that? Maybe whether in your family, in your context, that perhaps our uh, older generation, they don't want to receive. They don't want someone to help. They'd rather do it themselves. And this whole sense of not owing someone is a very pervasive part of our culture. And that's why it can be very difficult, not just to love people, but then to receive love and to allow someone to help us when we can't pay them back because this is a very transactional aspect of our culture. And I know that I've experienced that in our own family context, that that's been geared in the mind. You don't want people to give you all these things because eventually you may owe them. So it's important for us to try to not 
rely on other people. And I'm sharing this because in the context of love, that here we're being challenged of what does it mean to have the selfless love? That's one thing. But sometimes if it's hard for us to receive love, we don't allow um, the grace of God to flow from other people. And sometimes in that, when we can't receive love, we may not feel we can give love to other people because they should be able to take care of themselves. And they don't want to create this whole transaction thing. So I'm just hearing about this love, that God's love to us was selfless, was unconditional. And it's a powerful aspect of how God loves us in a way that we probably cannot fully understand. And the love is, um, is countercultural. And let me read to you here from Luke chapter 6. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. And if you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. I think it's a very powerful passage about this context of, of love that is actually saying to love our enemies, to love those that uh, not only are you in a conflict w- with, but perhaps those that hate you, not just you consider them an enemy, you don't like them, but they actually hate you. And then to go further to say, uh, those that curse you, you need to bless them. Now, now when this is those who curse you um, and, those who, and to pray for those who abuse you, I, I see this as a, um, that cursing is an active hate and abuse. That this cursing is an active hate and abuse. It's not talking about just in the past, but it's ongoing. And in the context of this being cursed and being abused, that we're asked here to bless them and to pray for them. Now, that's, that thing I think is pretty difficult, you know, uh, to understand what that means for this amazing sense of love that's very countercultural. Um, because when we have our enemies and they hate you, that the natural inclination is to protect ourselves, is to preserve ourselves, and uh, for us to do good to them is something that is, seems totally against human nature and against our cultural norm. And then to bless them as well. And Jesus says here, we're actually supposed to pray for those who abuse us. And that's why I think it's very, very countercultural. I mean, Jesus, he came in love, he loved those around him, and then he was abused, and he didn't fight back, but instead he continued to pray. Even when he was on the cross, and they were ridiculing him, that if you really are God, then save yourself. And in his last moments, he said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing that even Jesus and his example continued to love, which is really, really countercultural. And I believe sometimes you think about how this love is seen in the world's eyes, to love your enemies or to, to bless those who curse you. It really makes no sense. In the world's eyes, it looks like you are weak, that you are um, uh, inferior. It may even look like you're stupid. Because it just doesn't make sense in the world's eyes. And sometimes it's difficult because the things that have happened, perhaps even in the past, can be so difficult to forget. And I think one thing in Asian culture, I can say this, is that we have excellent memories. 
we can remember so many things with great detail. You know, and sometimes we would forget the things of today. We forget to we leave things behind. We have bad memory. But when it comes to things that happened in the past, things that were bad, things that someone did to us, we seem to have this amazing ability to recall, you know, 20 years ago, five years ago, this happened. And not only can we describe what had happened, but how it affects us is sometimes seared into our hearts. That what happened in the past seems to stay within us that is difficult for us even to then move on, let alone say how can we pray for them, bless them, and to love them. How can we even accept the sense of uh, that this thing here could be something that God is bringing us through and teaching us, that this difficulty, this pain, which is very real, and sometimes our ability to remember so well can be like a stronghold that keeps us from really understanding the love of God in our lives and for the love of we have to then go out to those around us. And that can actually create a huge stronghold, the things of our past. And so Jesus demonstrated what it was, would be to love in this way, which is countercultural and not what we would do, humanly speaking. And there was an amazing a demonstration of that love. I want to share about this, uh, this testimony from Carrie Ten Boom. And during World War II, when the, the Nazis were killing many of the Jewish people, uh, her family had the hiding place that in their house they constructed an extra wall, extra floor, so that they could come to hide the Jews and to keep them safe. And they actually saved the lives of many Jewish people. But in the midst of that, there was one person that said he wanted to be helped, and that was a traitor, and he was the one that turned them in. So eventually, her whole family had to go to prison. And at that time, they were suffering greatly in the prison, and eventually her family died, and she was the only one that was spared. So after World War II, Carrie Ten Boom, she went around the world sharing about forgiveness, sharing about what God had done. And, and she didn't want to... Um, she went to many places, but she refused to go to Germany. So she went everywhere else except Germany. But then one day she was invited to go to a church in Munich in Germany. So she went to Germany. And in this church in Munich, she had just given this speech about forgiveness. And as the people were leaving, this, this man came up to her. And Corey recognized, recognized uh, this man, that he was one of the guards in the prison that she and her family were at. And this man, who was partly responsible for the death of her sister, um, he came up to her and he said, what a beautiful message, Fraulein. Thank you for your message. And he says, uh, I was a guard at that same prison that you mentioned. And I became a Christian after I left there. And I never thought I would see someone that was there at the time. And so I want to ask you, can you please forgive me. And Carrie Timbun writes, she says, uh, it feels like my blood was freezing. And says, this man stands before me, responsible for the slow, horrible death of my sister, Betsy. And he dares to ask me for forgiveness. And Corey writes, and all those beautiful sermons about forgiveness. But now I have to forgive myself and I can't. This man holds out his hand 
And uh, Corey says, I can't take it. So then she writes, she says, I prayed softly to Jesus. I don't want this. You have to help me, Lord. And then I realize forgiveness is not an emotion. It is an act of the will. The feeling is not there, but I can move my hand. And so almost mechanically, she says, I place my hand in his, and then something extraordinarily happens. I suddenly feel this warm wave through my body, from my shoulder to my arm, into my hands, into his hands, and I have to cry. And I say to him, I forgive you, brother, with all my heart. And there we stood. In the, here was the prison guard and the prisoner. And for many long minutes, we held hands together. And she says, and never before have I ever experienced the love of God so deeply. So this is the, the nature of God's love. It's very, you know, counterculture. It's something you can't explain. It's not logical. It's not something that you would want to do. And yet it is the very nature of this love from God that is counter-cultural. God's love is also unlimited and sacrificial. And that we see here in Romans 5.8 that God demonstrated his love, his agape, for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So we see here that Jesus was a demonstration of this love himself. So that while we were sinners, that Christ died for us. In that, in that state that we were still sinning, that Christ demonstrated so powerfully and that he came and he showed us what it means to have unconditional and sacrificial love. That could be very difficult, you know? The unlimited love that, that God has demonstrated and to expect that we would have this unconditional love. I have a very good friend um, that I've known her for many years. And she, uh, she's not a Christian, but she and her boyfriend were living together for over five years. Then it, they, they decided to get married. And so they came and asked me, he says, Wayne, would you please officiate uh, our wedding? And for me, thinking about that their understanding of marriage was different than mine, uh, I declined. And I explained to them why. And she says, wow, I didn't expect you to say that, but I really respect you that you have your values and that you have declined to, to do our wedding, but I respect you for your belief. And then I said, well, I'm very willing to provide premarital counseling and to help you prepare for your marriage. And they said, oh, that would be wonderful. Please do that. So we began a whole long series of, of premarital counseling sessions to prepare them uh, to be married, although they had been living together for a long time. And in our sessions, we talked about love. And then I said to both of them, I said, is there any limit to how much you will love each other? And he said, uh, no, there's no limit. And he said to her, I love you and I always will. She said, well, I don't know about that because you may love me without condition, but she said, if there's a day we end up, you know, we can't like work it out, it's over. And she says, there is definitely a limit to how I love you. And I was, you know, trying to prepare them for marriage. And it was very uh, obvious that they had different ideas of love. And she said, my love is limited. 
although he said it's unlimited. Um, and I began to realize, you know, you think about the world's concept of love. Most of the time there is a limit. They won't like go all the way to the end and, and, and have this sense of, I can continue to love you no matter what. And yet that is the kind of love that God had for us. It's totally unlimited. And he continues to love, insists on loving. And he's bringing us that not only do we receive this love, but he helps us to know how we can then love other people in this unlimited way. You know, when I was single, um, I used to hang out with my married friends. They have little kids. And it's great because, you know, it, I think there's a lot of babies born here in this, in this congregation, right? Like in the last year or two, there's about eight babies born. And so I'm talking to a lot of, of parents who are probably very tired. And you think about parents of young babies, they're always very, very tired. So I would show up, Uncle Wayne, you know, ready to go because I'm fresh. So I could pick up these babies, and I loved, you know, feeding them and taking the babies, and then you can burping them and have fun with them. And you can do all kinds of engaging things because I, I'm fresh and energetic, and most of my friends are so tired. They're so happy that I'm there just to play with their kids. So we have these babies, and then all of a sudden, there's that moment. <laughs> there's a moment, you know... Uh, it's time now, and Uncle Wayne's job is over. So then I <laughs> return the baby back to the parents. This is, it was really good to see you. It's great. I need to go right now. And then, so there's only so much that, that this love of Uncle Wayne could have, you know, carrying these babies, because it's not my ultimate responsibility, and I can pass it back to the parents. But when I became a father, <laughs> and I have my own baby, like, there's no one to pass it to, and the buck stops there. And that's when you realize that as a parent, there's actually nothing you wouldn't do to help your child. That there's a sense of how much a parent can love their child, and you, don't, you can't pass it to anyone else. And it comes to the point that you just learn to love. And all kinds of stuff happen, <laughs> and both ends and everything, and you just love. And, and then as they get older, it's, it changes, and there's different issues, but you just continue to love and love and love. And at some point in our lives, in our journey, we go to the other end of spectrum, and our kids are grown, and what do you have? You have aging parents. And to love our aging parents, and to love them without limit. And actually, it seems that it never, it never ends, you know? You, you go through how to love your children in an unlimited way, but then you reach another season of life that, you know, in caring for our parents can be in itself a challenge to love in a way that there is no limit and that it's often very sacrificial. So looking at this whole thing of how much love that God has demonstrated to us, that this love from God is, is selfless, unconditional. It just keeps to, uh, there's no condition. The love is there. And then it's countercultural. that God's love is nothing that you can explain, something that is a, is a norm in human nature, but it is a powerful part of how God is loving us contrary to human nature. And then it's also unlimited in that God's love is sacrificial. In the example of Christ, that he came from God to be human, to be uh, rejected, to be on the cross, and then to be crucified. And even to the very moment that he was on the cross, that he then even prayed for the forgiveness of those that were crucifying him. And this love just continues and continues. And so as we approach this Christmas season, 
I want to ask you, have you been able to receive this type of love from God? That you've been able to recognize who Christ is and to receive Christ into your life? The second question I want to ask is, as we approach this season of Christmas, are we able to extend the love that God has given us to other people, to those around us, in a selfless way, and in an unconditional way, uh, in ways that could be so contrary to our culture and our mindset? Is there a limit to the love that we have for those around us? You know, for us to have a boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, and wife, those are the most uh, clear acts of love because we choose that person. But one thing that we don't choose in life, you don't choose your parents, you don't choose your children, and you don't choose your siblings. Those are not your choices, but it is your opportunity to demonstrate love. So there's two kinds of context. One is one that you chose. You chose your spouse. You chose your boyfriend and girlfriend. You chose that situation, and then you continue to, continue to love them irrespective. Or in some situations, we didn't choose. You know, your parents are like, uh, they're your parents. And your kids, well, they came out. You couldn't choose. I, I don't want this one. You know, return. I get another one. You know, I'm going to trade. You don't do that. And so there's some, some situations in life, we don't choose. And yet... God has demonstrated to us that this whole thing of love that is selfish, that is unconditional, that is contrary to all of our thinking, this kind of love needs to be unlimited and even to the point of being sacrificial. So I want to lead us in this time of reflection now. And as you come to reflect, uh, to ask this one question, are you able to then extend this love, God's love, to those around you. And I want to encourage you to think about any situation, any persons that may be the most difficult to love, and how in this season you can extend love to them. So let's spend a few moments in, in this reflection, and then I'll close this in prayer in a few moments. Our Father, we thank you for your amazing love that you've given to us so freely, so selflessly, without conditions. How you have loved us in a way that we can't even understand in our own human context. And Father, it seems so contrary to who we are as human beings. Father, to see your love that has, uh, has really no limits and that you're able to continue pouring out love when it's so difficult. I ask, Father, that you help us, each one of us, that we can be able to first receive this love from you, 
and to experience the fullness of your love in our lives. I pray, Father, for each of us here, that as some of us may have identified someone or those that is difficult to love, I ask, Lord, that your love would do a tremendous work in us to enable us to love without condition and to love without limit. Father, we know this is very, very difficult. And we pray that in, the, in this Advent season, as we reflect on these themes of what it means for, for the love of Christ to come, that we would receive this love and we would return and love those around us. So I pray for these situations, these persons in which it is difficult to love. And I pray that you help us to be a channel of your love to them and that you would be pleased by how we live our lives and how we engage with those around us. Thank you, Father. We pray this in Jesus' name.